0: Hey, welcome back to the Measure Twice Planners podcast. Today's conversation is with Trevor Winter, a CFP professional and owner of New Heights Planning, who serves oil and gas professionals in their 30s and 40s. During this episode, we discuss mega backdoor Roth 401k contributions and how they're actually implemented in real life. If you enjoy our conversation, you can watch 30 additional minutes in the full video version, as well as over 30 hours worth of valuable educational content at measuretwiceplanners.com. Although we are discussing a financial planning topic that involves investment accounts and tax decisions, this conversation only includes general education. Do not interpret any of this as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. Also, remain aware of any future legislative changes. I'm so excited today. Our niche expert presenter is Trevor Winter, CFP professional, the founder and financial advisor at New Heights Planning. He specializes in serving oil and gas professionals in their 30s and 40s with modern financial planning and investment management to help reduce their taxes, invest smarter, and become financially independent. So before becoming a financial advisor in 2020, Trevor worked as an engineer at Shell Oil for over 14 years. The topic of today's presentation discussion is 401k optimization for super savers. So to start, I would love to know more about your desire to change careers to begin with likely taking a big pay cut from big oil and gas. What came to mind in terms of making that career transition? And also, what were some of your challenges or concerns about making that jump?
1: That's a great question. And first of all, I'm going to say thank you for having me. Um, It's an honor to be here and to share a, a specialization that I've been working many years in. Going to school, I went to school for engineering, started out as an engineer at Shell, like you mentioned. As a part of graduating and looking for jobs, I remember applying for at least one financial analyst company. I think it was at Baird, right? So they were looking for somebody to analyze stocks and they targeted engineers because of their analytical behavior. Never heard anything, didn't even get, you know, a, you know, a first interview or response, but I always had that as a part of my mind of like, hey, this could be a cool career path. So, I feel like a lot of career changers, they stumbled upon financial advising at some point in their career. For me, it was something that I always kind of had in the back of my mind. So that was in 2005. I graduated, started at Shell, which oil and gas is a bit of a different animal when it comes to most traditional engineering professions. It has a lot of aspects more like tech, where the standpoint of very high profit margins, high volatility, which also translates to higher than average wages. So when I got my offer from Shell versus all the other companies in the Midwest, which was where I'm from, the money and the experience of going to New Orleans seemed like a no-brainer. Fast forward 14 years, I uh, you know, had a great career at Shell, spent half of that time doing different engineering roles and half that time in leadership. Throughout the past last three or four years of that, that's when I stumbled on things like Michael Kitsis' podcast. And the other resources that people really look at when saying, hey, does a career switch make mm-hmm. sense? I was even talking to friends that worked at Edward Jones, Northwestern Mutual, the big names that I knew from high school that have been doing financial advising in some form or fashion for a long time. And this is where the planning comes into pay, because as you mentioned, it was a material pay cut. Took a pay cut somewhere in the order of you know 80-75% of my pay to start a job as an associate financial advisor. Mm -hmm. at Asset Management Advisors, which is a firm that was here in Houston, they've since been acquired. To your question of what was that like and why did I do it? Well at Shell, one of the things I got to do as a leader was have chats with my direct reports about their careers and what was important to them. That was my favorite part of that job is helping guide them in their career. Outside of work, I've always had a huge passion for personal finance. So I started listening to Dave Ramsey back when I was in college or something like that. And then of course grew from there. By moving into financial advising, I was able to combine my love for personal finance. And then of course, the ability to help people, but not just design their careers, but really make their money, help them design the life that they wanted. When I left Shell, one of the things that I really advise for everybody to do is when they're looking at that first job, you know, whether it's first job out of college or first job in a career change, it may not be perfect, but really spend time looking at the companies that you're going to, to make sure it's what you want. So I was very happy to go to the company. I went from a technical standpoint, excellent look into things like tax reviews and doing tax planning, doing financial planning. I got to use e-money for all the cases and help people understand that they can retire. I left the following year. Now, I didn't have my CFP marks yet. I didn't really have a good understanding of operations because I was working front office. All of the things that you need to know to start a firm, I had a good awareness of, but I didn't have that true mastery of it. So I really would recommend, one, spending more time at a firm before starting your own firm. But first and foremost, making sure that firm that you're going to is a firm that you fit into culturally as well, not just
0: technically. Did you already know you wanted to be an entrepreneur before you took that job?
1: I knew that I wanted to test two theories.
0: You're an engineer at the end of the day. (laughs) I'm an engineer at the end of the day. That's correct.
1: One, I left Shell because I wanted to look forward to Monday as much as Friday. I wanted to really have that love for the work I was doing and that sense of purpose. And so I wanted to test, do I get that from financial advising? Two, you know, I've enjoyed a lot of the benefits of being at a large company and the support staff around it, but I also didn't like a lot of the red tape. So I didn't know which way I wanted to go, but I knew that would always be a potential option in financial advising is starting my own firm.
0: How did 401k optimization, what you call for super savers, right? You were a super saver. Now you're serving them. How did 401k optimization become a common planning topic for the people you specifically serve now?
1: My niche, they're high earners, generally, they're either a single high earner or if it's a you know a couple or a family. many times, both of them are w two employees, sometimes at the same oil and gas company so oil and gas, just like most industries, it ends up being a small world and people meet people through work and they you know get married and now you have two high earners that are both w two employees you know with w two employees you have a different ability to plan for taxes. One it's looking at tax brackets and how much can you get into tax deferred accounts. And these individuals, especially in the technical space, are starting at you know 100 grand out of college plus minus. And it quickly goes up from there. If you've got an individual making two, three dollars $300,000, mm-hmm. and they max out their 401k at $22,500 a year, that's actually less than a 10% savings rate for some people. So really making sure that you're taking advantage of all of the levers is really important for your financial future. And then the next thing is, you're in a really high tax bracket if you're making $300,000 And your wife's also making three hundred thousand dollars. Your husband's making, you know, three or or you're not
0: married yet, right? Because it's your first job, right? (laughs) Or you're not married yet. Yep,
1: yeah, yeah. Single clients that are in the thirty-five percent tax bracket because they're single clients and you know have a really good income. So at this point, it's how do we really take advantage of all of the tax advantage savings so that you can defer taxes now, have your money grow tax deferred and or tax free. How do you access some of that tax free? And how do you set yourself up for, for many of them, which will likely be an early retirement? It's pretty uncommon to go to, you know, I'll use Shell where I work. It's pretty uncommon to see a 60 year old engineer or leader at Shell, because so many of them retired in their fifties. So it's a very high probability of early retirement as well. So making sure that you're set up for that in a tax efficient way.
0: What are some of the concerns you have when both spouses, especially if they're both working at the same oil and gas company?
1: I'll start with my own situation. So when I mentioned that we didn't intend on taking a 75% household pay cut because my wife was working, I was you know, fortunate enough to be able to take a voluntary severance from Shell, which meant they paid me to leave. So they paid me to do a career transition, which you know, something that I consider myself very lucky for. That was during 2020. So oil went negative in 2020 during the coronavirus pandemic. Two weeks before my last day at Shell, my wife lost her job as a geologist as well. So we thought we were taking one pay cut, we ended up taking two pay cuts. The stress of losing a job, an unplanned job loss, is something that I can't emphasize enough. So that's something that's very tough. It's something that, unfortunately, most people will experience at some time or another, um, But it's it's something that I'd wish on nobody. One of the things that we were really fortunate about is one with severances. So she also got a severance as well. But in addition to that, with many, many, many years of saving and planning, we didn't add financial stress on top of that emotional stress of the job loss as well. It's an ebb and flow, high volatile industry. And so you have a higher risk of losing a job at the same time. So therefore, you need to think of what should emergency funds look like. right? Mm. On the investment side of things, uh, I see it a little bit less than what we used to see back when more companies would put 401ks in company stock as well, especially in the post-Enron world. But I still see people come to me with a large percentage of their net worth in their company stock because they're getting it through equity comp, whether that's RSUs, stock purchase plans, or a combination of both. So, really making sure that your pay, your spouse's pay, and then many of these companies, they still have pensions as well. So Shells, for example, sells a pension. Um, Hess, for my wife, used to work. I work with a lot of house people. They still have pensions. So now you got your pay, your pension. And now if you start having your company stock in there, you've got a lot of eggs in one basket.
0: By being a super saver, by saving a higher percentage of their income, they're going to have more flexibility. And the thing is, they might be stressed about finding that new job, but it won't be as much of a financial stress if you encourage them to become a super saver. And by the way, do it in a tax optimized way. Before we go mega and so it's like getting to this really fun world of mega backdoor and all this, let's talk a little bit about the normal 401k. So could you describe a little bit about kind of just the normal, you know, traditional and Roth options in a 401k?
1: Yeah. So this year, 2023, I'm recording this within a 401k. So when people think of 401k, they either think of pre-tax or Roth. So pre-tax meaning I put the money in my 401k, it comes in my paycheck before taxes are applied. So I save on taxes in the current year, and then that money grows tax-deferred, and when I take it out in retirement, then I pay income taxes on it. And then, of course, Roth is I pay taxes on that now, and that money grows tax-free, and then I can withdraw it in retirement tax-free. One thing that I'm sure that most of y'all understand is that as financial advisors, you know that there's no income limit on contributing to a Roth 401k. One thing to note, though, is your clients may not know that. So make sure you're reemphasizing with your clients because they get all the time clients, you know, individuals that don't do financial advising as a profession, get IRAs and 401ks confused and don't understand the difference. So please make sure you stress that. An individual can put up to $22,500 into a combination of pre-tax 401k and Roth 401k. Once you hit that limit, you can't put any more in. And so if you switch companies, really important because now it's on you to make sure that you don't, your aggregate between your two companies doesn't go above that two five for the year. In addition to that, the IRS has a limit for the total amount that you and your employers can put into your 401k, and that is $66,000.
0: What are the most common mistakes people make with like these, like, these contributions we're talking about to start?
1: There's really three things that I see that people really mess up on. One, it's you know not really understanding the match. Let's say you have a 5% match. You know, some people, what they'll do is they want to max out really early. They want to get that money into their 401k. And then let's say they max out early. And at that point, when they max out early, does the match stop? And this is very plan dependent. This is a theme that you'll see across the entire episode is that a lot of things within your 401k are plan dependent. So, for example, at Shell, Shell does a contribution, not a match, which is pretty rare, but is really powerful. If you put zero into your 401k or you max it out, Shell puts the same percentage regardless of what you do where most companies are at at match. So making sure that you have that match throughout the year is really important. Next is understanding if there is a true-up contribution. Many, but not all companies, will have a true-up where they look at your average throughout the entire year, and then they will true-up to their match as if you did that across the entire year. So again, understand what the plan is. And the third thing is high earners. Let's just say you're making, we'll use $400,000, so, you know, something that's high number and that include, you know, $400,000 base. And let's just say, you know, it's a good bonus. You're going to get another $200,000 bonus. So you're making a ton of money. If you say, all right, well, $400,000 base, I need to put in $22,500. I'd set my contribution at 6% and let it go. In your mind, you, you're going to max out and you'll be fine. However, what happens is you're putting in 6% of paycheck and then you get your $200,000 bonus, which is a phenomenal bonus, right? So I'm using high numbers to make a point, but it can happen much sooner than that. And next thing you know, come June, you're, you've are you hit $330,000 of, contrib- of annual compensation, but you haven't hit the limits within your 401k. So you miss out on your contribution.
0: Why do high salary employees typically want to max out their 401k early? By maxing
1: out early, you make sure that you're getting the full 22.5 in there. And so that's a good thing because then you can, if it's pre-tax, you can make sure you're getting that full tax deduction, especially if you're in the 30-something percent tax bracket and even more if you have state income tax. So that's one. And then two, the sooner I get invested, the better it'll do. And obviously, that's year-dependent, but in general, the stock market goes up. So in general, year over year over year, you're statistically better off putting the money in the market earlier rather than later.
0: Some more sophisticated advisors and DIY investors as well, they get really excited about this backdoor Roth IRA, which is with an IRAs. there are income thresholds for making deductible traditional IRA contributions. And there are also income thresholds for making direct Roth IRA contributions. You know, some people just say, hey, I make too much money, like forget it. Whereas others are taking advantage of what's called the backdoor Roth IRA, which is you make a traditional IRA contribution, you don't deduct it right? So you report on form 8606 that you have some after tax cost basis, you're not deducting it because your income's too high. But then you immediately, you know, most likely immediately convert that portion to your Roth IRA. And because you already paid tax on the contribution, and you don't have extra, we'll talk about pro, the pro rata rule, because you don't have any pre tax traditional IRA balances, you can do that effectively tax free. We hear about the backdoor Roth IRA, but what the heck is a mega backdoor Roth? And how is that different from the IRA strategy? First of all,
1: the backdoor Roth IRA, as you mentioned before, super powerful, more well known, but you know, highly, highly recommend that everybody looks in that for their clients that have higher incomes. Now the mega backdoor Roth. The mega backdoor Roth is utilizing your 401k to get more money into it above the $22,500 individual employee contribution limit. So the way that works is within your 401k, we've talked about two of the three or potentially three tax buckets. And I say potentially three because it all depends on your individual company plan. So within the tax buckets, there's the pre-tax that we talked about. There's the Roth, which we talked about, which goes tax-free. But lastly, there's this after-tax bucket. And now the after-tax bucket seems kind of weird. Now you're putting money into your 401k, but it's after-tax. So you're not getting a tax deduction right now. And then when that money grows and you pull it out, hopefully in retirements you're not paying a penalty, you're also getting income tax on the gains. So if you say, wait a second, I'd be much better off putting that money into a taxable brokerage account because then I pay capital gains tax on the gains and not income tax on the gains. On the face, you're fully right. Mathematically, that's much better than putting the after-tax and just investing it. However, if you can have access to the after-tax bucket, And then if you can also some way convert that to Roth, then you can make sure that the gains are also tax-free. So you're essentially increasing the amount you can get into your 401k and making sure that all the money in your 401k grows either tax-deferred or tax-free. So how would that work? There's really two ways to do this. One, you have ability to do in-plan conversions. So how does this work? You take your after-tax bucket, and then with an in-plan conversion, you convert it to Roth within the 401k. Now, at the time of conversion, any gains that you have are taxable. So generally, you want to do this as soon as possible to minimize the time that it has to grow in a tax after-tax bucket so that you maximize the growth in the tax-free bucket. The other way, and generally more common way that you see, especially within things like the fire community and financial advisor community, is that you do an in-service distribution, directly rolling it into a Roth IRA. So by doing this, you're taking that after-tax money out of your 401k and put it into a Roth IRA. Same tax treatment applies. When you do that, your contributions, there's no taxes on those but any gain on the contribution before the rollover occurs, you will have to report on your income taxes when you file the next year. At that point, now you have all of your money in pre-tax and Roth buckets. So therefore, all that Roth money that was after tax, now Roth and growing tax free. So we talked about the $22,500 contribution limit for pre-tax or Roth. This is in addition to that. Now, make sure that you're not putting too much in because there could be other consequences with putting too much in as well. For anybody watching this, things change. So make sure if you have clients of those companies, you're doing your own research and not just saying, Hey, this is what Trevor said. So at show for employees that were there greater than nine years, they got a 10% employer contribution to their 401k. So phenomenal you know, matching their their 401k or really contribution, not even a match. So let's say you're making $330,000 a year. Um, so, you're doing really well, and you're getting 10% into your 401k. So, therefore, Shell assumes the most you can get into your 401k from an employer contribution standpoint is $33,000, 10% of the IRS compensation limit of $330,000. And then, of course, the most that you can put into the pre tax and Roth bucket directly is a combined $22,500. So when they look at the total contribution limit of $66,000, they subtract out $33,000 for the employer maximum possible contribution. They subtract out $22,500 for the maximum individual employee contribution. And so now you're left with a gap of $10,500. Shell will let you put up to $10,500 into your after-tax bucket. They will cut you off automatically with all that, which is great because it makes life much simpler as an uh, individual if or as an advisor helping individuals with a 401k when all of that is done automatically. It's really, really important that you understand how the plan works and that you don't lose your employer match because you're putting money into the after-tax bucket.
0: How would you know if a prospective client has this option to make after-tax contributions and you know turn it into a mega backdoor Roth?
1: This is where you, as an advisor, you really want to have robust processes built out. Within my processes, as part of my data gathering checklist, a request for the employee's summary plan description. So I want to see what's in their summary plan description so that I know in general what they have within their 401k. One caveat is. Everything is not in the summary plan description. It's a summary. <laughs> so um, when looking at summary plan description, generally you can determine enough if it's worth investigating more, if they have it or not. So the two things you look for, one, do they have access to be able to put money into the after-tax bucket? That's step one of doing a mega door up. And then two, is there a way to get that from After tax to Roth. So you'll be looking for one of two things. Ideally, you have both, and you can make the decision of what's best for your client. You either have in service distributions of after tax money, or you have the ability to do in plan Roth conversions. Now, one thing that I want to stress on when talking about in service distributions, it's very common to assume that, oh, I can't do in service distributions. So, you know, I'm They can't pull money on my 401k until I, you know, sever or have some other crazy lifespan. However, a lot of times this is specific for after-tax contributions. When looking for that, look for in-service distributions for after-tax contributions. And if you have those things, then call the administrator and talk through them to make sure that, one, they can do it. And then, two, call them again with your client, especially if it's the first time working with this company, to make sure it's right for that client. Don't be shy to call whoever is running the 401k. So, you know, for many cases, it's Fidelity. So I think they're the largest 401k provider out there still. So call them. And one, most summer plan descriptions will actually have the plan ID number on there. So I think it's a five-digit number. So say, hey, I'm calling for, I'm a you know, financial advisor, here's my name, da da I'm calling for generic information on plan number dot, dot, dot with this company. Nine times out of 10, they have no problem giving you generic information. Obviously they can't give you any personal information about a client without the clients being on the phone and consenting to it, et cetera. But you can learn a lot, especially in the prospecting process to know, is this even worth bringing up?
0: It's really important that we hit this hard is you're not looking for the term mega backdoor. I've worked with so many clients who say, oh, I don't have a mega backdoor option because what they did is they pulled up their summary plan description. They press command F and search for a mega backdoor. They're like, I don't have it. When they should have done control F for after dash tax. Do they have the ability to make after tax contribution? Are there in-service distributions, in-plan Ralph conversions, rather than going in there and saying, hey, do you offer a mega backdoor? If they've never heard that term before, they're gonna say no. And you might've missed out on a huge opportunity. So what are the potential mistakes that you see with the mega backdoor Roth. So we talked about missed opportunities
1: about not contributing enough, or not getting too much in there. One of the other things is missing the employer match. So we talked about this briefly, so don't hit it on too much, but if you put too much after-tax money in too fast, you hit that 66K limit and the employer stops matching. At that point, you've now lost free money. Two, and this is something that I've seen with other plans, is that they suspend your 401k contributions whenever you have an in-service distribution. So this may be for 90 days, maybe for longer than that. Um, So you do your after-tax contributions and you say, all right, cool, I'm going to roll that money into my Roth IRA now and do my mega backdoor 401k thinking everything's great. Well, what happens is in the plan, they say anytime you do an in-service distribution, your contributions are ceased for 90 days. So not only can you not put in, the company matches and put in either. So now you're not being able to max it out and you're losing free money. The third thing is paying excess taxes. We'd already talked about making sure that it's done correctly when you're talking with the administrator, but make sure that after you've done this, that they're not paying additional taxes. One of the ways this happens is if it's incorrectly reported on a tax return. Anytime you get a uh, 1089R, I believe it is, there's all sorts of stuff on there, but there's not the right information to actually tell you (laughs) what happened to the money in many cases, right? Taxable amount not determined. You see that box checked and the CPA is just like, I don't know what's going on. Or even worse, the person put it into TurboTax himself says, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Review your client's tax returns or ideally, you know, have the conversation ahead of time tell them the information ahead and make sure that they're doing it right in the first place. So look at, I believe it's now line 5A and 5B of pension and retirement withdrawals. If you do a mega backdoor, moving into an a IRA, you will have a withdrawal on line 4A saying you pulled out $11,000 from your 401k. Then the next line over, line 5B, 5B is the taxable amount. Make sure that one, this is In there, right? Because you want to make sure there's a report that happened. But two, make sure that only the growth is on line 5B, because the last thing you want is for them to pay taxes on the after tax money they already paid taxes on. Part of my data gathering process includes tax returns. I look right here at 4A and 4B to understand if they're doing, well, one, look at their income to know if they need to do backdoor (laughs) IRAs, just the regular ones, not the mega. And then two, are they doing them and reporting them correctly? Then within the mega backdoor, since it's a qualified retirement plan, it actually shows up in line five. So it's really nice to have your regular backdoor and your Mm -hmm. mega backdoor put on two different lines when done properly.
0: With the backdoor Roth IRA, you make those after-tax non-deductible traditional IRA contributions, and then you hopefully convert that into your Roth IRA without tax consequences. But the tax consequence on that conversion, you know, whether or not you're going to owe taxes or not, is based on whether or not you have other any other pre-tax IRA balances. That also includes your SEP IRA, your SIMPLE IRA, by the end of the year, by December 31st of the year of the conversion. So there's that big pro rata issue with Roth, with the backdoor Roth IRA. But can you also have this issue of the pro rata taxation when making mega backdoor conversions?
1: So you can now. It's a different bucket that they're looking at, right? So you can do, let's say let's say you do an in-plan conversion. So you're taking after-tax money within your 401k and defer it to roughly your 401k. If you have you know a mix of taxable and pre-tax and after-tax IRA buckets, the IRS is not looking at this. Your taxpayer is not looking at that when looking at does this prorata rule over here impact this prorata rule. They're, they are separate. However... If you can do that within your plan, like I said, check the plan description. One of the things that is generally a requirement that you won't find in the summary plan description is how they do the accounting on the back end, right? So are they doing separate accounting for each bucket to make sure they know what the sources and everything else of your after tax and everything. So assuming they're doing separate accounting, you are going to have a dollar amount of after tax and a dollar amount of gains on that after tax contribution. So Let's say that you have $10,000 of after-tax contribution and your total after-tax balance is $15,000. If you say, I want to convert to $10,000, you can't say, I want to convert just the contribution. Again, the pro-rata rule, different pro-rata rule, but they will take a pro-rata portion of it and convert it. So you'll still have to pay income taxes on a third of that
0: even though you have like your pre-tax, your Roth and after tax, that after tax bucket can also effectively include pre-tax, not, not, not contributions, but pre-tax growth, that tax deferral. In terms of administration of the conversion itself, is that something that's like can be automated per, per pay period? Is it something that's manually done? How, how often and how is it typically actually implemented per plan? It will depend
1: on your client situation, and of course, it will depend on the plan itself. In general, my preferred method for doing mega backdoor Roths is to keep it all within the plan if there's an automatic conversion of after-tax contributions. So I've never seen this in a summary plan description. Um, The only way I know about this is by spending many hours on the phone with Fidelity and others. I have heard that Schwab, if you're 401k's administered through Schwab, you can actually make this change online. However, with Fidelity, it's a phone call, right? So call the client. We call Fidelity together and then we talk to them about after tax conversions that are automatically done. So the way this works is let's say the client gets paid on the 15th and the 30th of every month. Paycheck comes in on the 15th they are putting, let's say $1,000 into their after-tax bucket for pay periods, a lot of money going into after-tax. The day that it gets there, Fidelity also then converts it to Roth. So at this point, since it's instantaneous and automatic, you've had zero growth. And now that it is in Roth, it is now going to grow tax-free. This is great because you're getting that conversion done instantaneously on every paycheck. So that's probably the preferred way of doing it. It's also the simplest for the client because they call them once and they don't have to deal with Roth conversions within their 401k for the rest of their career. The other way of doing this is by doing a in-service distribution and rolling it into your IRA. When you do that, this is something that you'll want to understand when the best time to do it is. If you're really trying to optimize everything, it may make sense to load up your pre-tax bucket first and put zero into your after-tax. Then right before or as that's hitting, then load up your after-tax bucket so that you have less time for that money to grow while it's being taxable. And then as soon as you hit your target for the year or maximum for the year, then you would roll that into your... Roth IRA, assuming that you know, can do that without things like you know an in-service or contribution hiatus.
0: Have you seen examples where the pre-tax portion, the Roth portion, and the after-tax portion can be invested differently? Because you know, typically we'd want the Roth if they're if they're invested differently, if we could. We'd, we'd prefer for the Roth to be more aggressively invested for long-term tax regrowth. Whereas the pre-tax, we may put some fixed income in there. So have you seen examples of plans where you can actually choose different investments for different buckets? Yes. Yep. So
1: from a planning standpoint, you really want to minimize your after-tax balance on an ongoing basis, right? So the sooner you get that money to Roth, the better off you are. You know, now, of course, when doing distributions, many times you can only do one or two after-tax distributions per year or per six months just check the plan now as you're minimizing your after-tax balance and now as these balance start to grow as you mentioned you really want to invest them and use your you know asset location just like you would with iras and taxable accounts for roth i want as much growth in tax-free dollars as i possibly can have. so i'm putting the Things with the highest expected returns in my Roth account when possible. Now, within the 401k, it really depends on the plan. And this is something that is much less common. Usually, everything is invested in your set menu. And you can't say, I want Roth dollars here and pre-tax dollars here. You know, buy averages of all of it. And so 40% of your balance is Roth, which would be unusually high. But let's just say that's the case. Then 40% of your US fund would be Roth and 60% would be pre tax. And then, you know, same thing across the board. The one you can do that is generally if you have, so I'll use Fidelity as an example, if you have access to something like Brokerage Link. Brokerage Link allows you to move money within your 401k from outside of the core menu of funds to a Brokerage Link window, but still stay in the 401k. When doing that, you have two Brokerage Link accounts. 401k. You have your brokerage link and then you have your Roth brokerage link. So your Roth brokerage link is what you want to load up with your highest expected growth assets. With the other brokerage link, this is, you know, things that are pre-tax. So this is where your pre-tax goes in, but this is also where any after-tax will go because of course it's not tax-free. So again, Planning first, make sure that you can minimize how much after-tax builds up at one, any given time. And then two, check to see if you can do asset location with the 401k and if you can maximize your growth within your Roth bucket. Many, many times it is in the client's best interest to keep the money within the 401k. This is something that has really changed over you know, the past multiple number of years as 401k plans have gotten a lot better. you know, So the excuse of I can get better investments outside of the 401k is much less true than it used to be. And then if they have the broker's bank window, in general, it's not true at all because you can invest in essentially the same things that you'd be able to invest in, in a IRA, excluding self-directed. So, you know, it's really important to understand what is in your client's best interest And knowing that more often now than not, or at least more common now than historically, it is in their best interest to keep it in that plan. Lastly, if you do roll it out, obviously make sure that you're following things like the DOL form to document why you're doing it and disclose everything to the clients. So by rolling it out, you also now have a little bit more of a compliance work. Every client situation is different. That's why, you know, we always talk about how your personal situation will vary. There's a lot of truth there.
0: I really appreciate you being here. I'm excited for others to reach out and to, you know, expand your network as you grow your firm. I really appreciate
1: you giving me the opportunity to to share this expertise that I've worked in over the past years. And then of course experienced myself for 14 years prior to that.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Trevor Winter. As a reminder, you may watch an additional 30 minutes of our full video recording and over 30 hours worth of valuable educational content at measuretwiceplanners.com. And don't forget to get your CFPCE credit along the way if that applies to you.